DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's word and apply his message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran. Today, friends, we will be covering the second half of our Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study Lecture Series on the announcement of the Kingdom of God. Now that mysterious Kingdom of God that Jesus first revealed to His chosen twelve apostles, and later to the rest of the world. He said to his apostles in Mark 4, verse 11, To you has been given the secret, the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables. Ah, yes, that mysterious kingdom of God. What is it? John the Baptist, the final prophet before the prophet of prophets, Jesus Christ himself, John had told the people to repent because the kingdom of God was at hand. This lecture will start out with the prophets and end with the popes. The prophets will predict the coming of God's kingdom. The popes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will preserve his kingdom on earth, the Catholic Church, his bride. The prophets speak an incredible message of hope, even among impending wrath and coming judgment of God. The young prophet, Daniel, would have a spiritual gift of being able to interpret dreams. Now, when Israel was captured in the Babylonian exile, it is young Daniel who is the only one who can interpret the dream of evil King Nebuchadnezzar. The coming kingdoms of this world would all end in destruction, Daniel predicted. Only the kingdom of God would remain forever. Jesus Christ would be the rock that was coming to crush all other worldly kingdoms. The keys to that forever kingdom would be given eventually to the right-hand man of God. That would be St. Peter, our first pope, who was the first to identify Jesus Christ as the anointed one, the Son of God, the forever king who had come into the world. But flesh and blood did not reveal this to him. Jesus told him it was the work of his father himself. Peter would be singled out by the father as the one who should be given the keys to his earthly kingdom, the Catholic Church. The gates of hell would try to destroy the church, but the kingdom of God would always and forever prevail. The gates of hell do try, and try, and try, and try, and still try, but they have not prevailed against God's church. That church still stands today over 2,000 years later. One thing that intrigued me when studying for this lecture was a teaching by the Jewish sages from the ancient Talmud. When the first holy temple, Solomon's temple, was destroyed, groups of young Levitical priests gathered together with the keys 
to the inner sanctuary of the temple in their hands. They ascended to the roof of the holy temple as the great Babylonian army approached to destroy them. They declared to God, Master of the world, since we have not merited to be trustworthy custodians of your holy temple, let the keys be given back to you. Then it is recorded by the Jewish sages that the Levitical priests threw the temple keys up toward heaven. A hand emerged and received them, and the priests threw themselves into the fire. Oh, wow, the keys to the Holy of Holies, the keys to the earthly sanctuary that housed the true presence of God on earth was destroyed by the Babylonians. And the last act of the Levitical priests before being burnt to death was to throw those keys to the inner sanctuary up to the heavens and the hand of God comes down and receives those keys. Perhaps this is why Jesus, the true presence of God, hands once again keys to St. Peter. (laughs) Peter, you are the rock and on this rock I will build my church, my kingdom on earth, my universal church for all nations. Matthew 16 tells us, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let's now continue with that second half of our Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study Lecture Series, Part 2 of the Announcement of the Kingdom of God. In 661 B.C., the prophet Zechariah chastised Israel for their sins. He warned them. He gave them grave punishments. If they didn't change, they were in for trouble. Rather than accept his rebuke, the nation stoned Zechariah to death in the temple mount, on the temple courtyard, stoned Zechariah the prophet to death on the Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. They stoned God's prophet. God didn't like that. The Jewish rabbis write that rather than allowing Zechariah's blood to settle into the earth, God caused it to bubble up. Zechariah's blood bubbling up at the temple mount and bubbling and bubbling and bubbling for 250 years. 252 years that blood laid there and bubbled until that temple was destroyed in 587 BC by the Babylonians. As a result of the disobedient and corrupt behavior of the Jews, God did not provide either North or South kingdom peace and security like the United Kingdom had known under Solomon's reign. They were constantly being pursued by the Syrian Empire to the north. And in 555 BC, Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, fell to the Assyrians. And the kingdom of Israel came to an end. Scores of thousands conquered people were led into captivity. And the ten tribes were lost. The kingdom of Judah, the other side, miraculously survived for about another 150 years. Their kings were not uniformly as evil as the kingdom of Israel in the north. They had some true monarchs like Hezekiah and Josiah were good kings. And so they'd get this resurgence of spiritual health and and they survived longer. But eventually they too fell to the Babylonians and were led away in the Babylonian exile for 70 years. Right? Two chapters later in Daniel, in in Daniel chapter 9, we studied that 70 of sevens. Remember that? Solomon's temple, also known as the first temple, was the holy temple in ancient Jerusalem. And on that temple mount, King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed that. After they were captured, that temple was destroyed in 587 BC. Now, the Jewish sages write in the Talmud, 
that when the first holy temple was destroyed, groups of young priests gathered together with their keys in the sanctuary to, in their hands. So the Babylonians are coming, fire is blazing, bows are flying, the, they're under siege, the temple's being destroyed, and these priests with the keys in their hand ascend to the roof and declare, master of the world, master of the world, since we have not merited to be trustworthy custodians of the holy of holies, let these keys be given back to you. And they threw the keys towards heaven. And it's recorded that a hand emerged and received the keys. And the priests threw themselves into the fire and perished as Babylon was attacking. They threw the keys towards heaven. A hand emerged and received them. And the priests threw themselves into the fire. That's in the Talmud. Now remember that. Also at that time, there's prophet Jeremiah. He's weeping over Jerusalem. And remember what he does. He rescues the ark in 2 Maccabees 2 so that the Babylonians can't plunder the ark of the covenant of the Lord. He takes the ark from the Holy of Holies and takes it to a cave. And the cave is sealed up. And he says it will remain sealed. The place will remain unknown until God gathers his people together again and shows his mercy. But if you keep reading on further in that second chapter, 2, chapter, two Maccabees 2, you will read... They're talking about some sin offering that was, Moses said they were consumed because the sin offering had not been eaten. Who's consumed? If you go back, that's a reference to Leviticus 10, the death of Nadab and Abihu. These are Aaron's son. They offered uncensored fire to the Lord and they were consumed. They were killed instantly. The fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Now, I just think it's interesting because if you keep reading in Leviticus 10, the punishment, they were to take a, Moses said to Aaron and the remaining ones left, they were shocked that these two boys had died offering uncensored fire. And they were told to take the grain offering, grain, grain offering left over from the offerings made to the Lord by fire and eat it prepared without yeast. So it's unleavened grain. Without yeast beside the altar of the most holy, in the sanctuary, eat it in a holy place because it is your share and your son's share of the offerings made to the Lord by fire. So I have been commanded by the Lord, said Moses. But you and your sons and your daughters may eat the breast. They were supposed to eat it all and eat it in a ceremonial clean place. It had been given to you and your children as share of the Israelites' fellowship offering. Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is the most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not taken into the holy place, you should have eaten the goat in the sanctuary as I commanded. Okay, this was a sin offering. It is a guilt offering, and it was to be eaten in the Holy of Holies, fully consumed. And it was grain, it was wheat, and it was unleavened. Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement. Someone else came to make atonement. He is a sin offering for the world. He is the final offering, the final sacrifice. Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement before the Lord. Why didn't you eat it? Then think of John 6. The Jews disputed, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus, Jesus is the new atonement offering. He is the sin offering, the final offering, the perfect sacrifice, the priest and victim. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat 
of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is food indeed. He who eats and drinks my flesh and blood abides in me and I in him. Why didn't you eat the sin offering in the sanctuary area? It is most holy. It was given to you to take away the guilt of the community by making atonement for them before the Lord. Why didn't you eat it? This teaching's too hard. We can't understand it. What does it mean? This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Eat his flesh, drink his blood. We can't do that. Why didn't you eat the sin atonement? The second holy temple stood in Jerusalem for the next 420 years. Unlike the period of the first temple, this is Herod the Great rebuilt this. And when the Jews, he remodeled it. It was rebuilt in the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, but then Herod made it grandiose. For the vast majority of the second temple area, the Jews were subject to foreign rule by the Persians, by the Greeks, and eventually now, when Jesus was there, the Romans. Now I'm taking you back, I know this gets complicated, but I want you to understand kingdom. And they had been seized by the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar was in charge of the Babylonians. And he has a dream one night and it's a bizarre dream and he doesn't know what it means. I won't read all the text, I'll just tell you about it. He wants his astrologers and his wise men, his enchanters, his sorcerers, his magicians to come in and tell him what his dream was. Calls them all in, he's very upset, he's lost a lot of sleep, tossing and turning. And he says, tell me what my dream was, and then interpret it. And they said, no, 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 King Nebuchadnezzar, sir, you tell us the dream, you tell us what the dream was, and then we'll interpret it. And he said, no, you tell me what the dream was, or I'll slice your head off. You'll be executed. They didn't know what his dream was. How are they supposed to know? They didn't know what to do. And so Daniel said, what's going on? And he hears this. And Daniel prays to the Lord, and the Lord shows him a vision of what the dream was. So he says, I could tell the king. So Daniel's brought in before King Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, King, you looked, O king, and there before you, this was your dream. You stood before a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold. The chest and arms were made out of silver. The belly and thighs were made out of bronze. And the feet were made out of iron. It was partially baked iron and partly clay. That's what you dreamed, sir. And the king was amazed because that's exactly what he dreamed. And he said, also, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not a rock made by human hands. It struck the statue on the feet of iron and clay, and it smashed them. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time, and they became like chaff, like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. Remember the winnowing fork? Now, that's the dream. And he can tell you, I can, I can tell you now what it means, king. You are king of kings, Nebuchadnezzar. You are the greatest king of all. The Lord God has given you dominion and power and might and glory. And in your hands, he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. And after you, another kingdom's going to rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, is going to rule over the whole earth. Finally, there's going to be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, and the iron's going to break and smash everything. And as the iron breaks things to pieces, it's, it's also going to crush and break all the others. But just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so will this divided kingdom be. It's going to have some of the strength of the iron, and it's going to have some mixed with clay. And the toes are going to be partly iron and partly clay. So the kingdom is going to be partly strong and partly brittle. Hmm. Well, here's what happened in history. 
The gold was the Babylonian Empire. They were taken over by the Media Persia Empire, the silver. They were taken over by the Greeks under Alexander the Great. They were taken over by the Romans. But the Rome didn't last forever. It fell also. Rome was strong like iron, but it also was not very united like clay. It was a divided kingdom. It soon divided into the Roman Empire and the Byzantine Empire. The Roman Empire would eventually fall. Under Trajan was the biggest time of the Roman Empire. They had the most territory. But by 476 AD, it was a divided kingdom. You see the blue and red, the Byzantine and Rome. Just as you saw the iron mixed with the baked clay, Rome will fall. And in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. This is what we're concerned about tonight. That will never be destroyed. That will never be left to another people. It's going to crush all the kingdoms and bring them to the end. But it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not made by human hands. Who's this rock? A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king that this will take place in the future. The dream is true. The interpretation is trustworthy. Isaiah tells of a rock. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. From Judah, Zechariah tells us that from the tribe of Judah will come a cornerstone. From him, the tent peg. From him, the battle bow. From him, every ruler. Ephesians in the New Testament tells us, fellow citizens with God's people and member of God's household, this is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, you too are built together to become a dwelling place which God lives in by his spirit. Peter says in scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Who is the cornerstone of this kingdom? Who is the rock? Who is the sure foundation that we can stand on? Jesus Christ. When the first temple was destroyed, now remember, the Babylonians are sieging and those priests are, are, have these keys to the Holy of Holies, to the innermost sanctuary, to the presence of God, and they're being attacked and they're going to die, so they throw the keys up and a hand comes down, it says in the Talmud, and grabs the keys. Their, that kingdom's over. Their kingdom is crushed by the Babylonians. Now, where are these keys? God has the keys. Now in Matthew 16... Jesus is asking them, who do you guys say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. That means you are the anointed one. You are the king. And what does Jesus do? Peter, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And what does he give to Peter? This is a new kingdom. He's got keys in his hands. And he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then what's he do? He just told him this. He just gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of God. And then he says, oh, shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> what? He's telling them some secret mysteries. Don't tell anybody. Because we want to keep this from someone in particular. Who? 
until after the crucifixion and resurrection, the keys to the kingdom are given to Peter. Jesus Christ, the rock who has the keys, is from the tribe of Judah. And in Isaiah 22, it talks about when the master leaves, the albiet, the right-hand man, is given the keys. Jesus knows he's going to be leaving. He's going to be ascending back to the Father, and he's going to give the keys to the right-hand man, who is St. Peter. Whew! <laughs> I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. That's back in Isaiah 22. Doesn't that sound what he just gave Peter? I give you the keys. Whatever you bind on earth is bound. Whatever you lose is loose. Same thing. Prophecy fulfilled. What kind of kingdom is this? What kind of kingdom is this? The time has come. Jesus says the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. Repent, repent. That's what John taught him. Repent, repent, repent. Why? Because repentance humbles us and opens the heart to the kingdom of God. Repentance is turning from sin and turning toward the king. John was put into prison. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news. Repentance prepares our heart to receive the good news, to encounter the true king. That is why Cardinal Dolan said last week at the Council, the Synod for the New Evangelization, that the primary sacrament of the New Evangelization will be the sacrament of penance. So we can repent and our heart will be ready to receive the King. He said all the sacraments are great, but the sacrament of reconciliation evangelizes the evangelizers. And it brings sacramentality into contact with Jesus who calls us to conversion of heart and inspires us to answer his invitation to repentance. This time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus says that. What kind of kingdom is this? Pilate went inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. But now my kingdom is from another place. It was a day of preparation, sixth hour, and Pilate said, Here is your king. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. Put that that man claimed to be the King of the Jews. What I have written, I have written. What kind of kingdom is this? People want to worship a true king. It's in our heart to worship. For this reason, at every time, first paragraph of the catechism, in every place, God draws close to man. It's in our heart to worship God. God calls us to worship him. He is our king, to bend our knee to the king, to bow down to the king, to adore the king. We worship the king. The king is Jesus. The pope is his vicar, his representative on earth. The pope's not the king. The Pope's the vicar of Christ. He's a representative of Christ on earth in direct succession, unbroken from St. Peter, who was the first to recognize, you are the Christ, you are the king, you are the anointed one. Pope Benedict XVI is number Pope 265 in an unbroken succession from when Christ handed the keys to Peter. And when you go to Rome, you'll see keys everywhere. Keys, 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 keys. You just, it's a fun game to play with your kids. Where's the keys? Where's the keys? because they're everywhere. Pope Pius VI had a clock right over St. Peter's Square because time started when Christ entered the earth, when he intersected time. 
in the year of our Lord. Time is ordered around Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the king. He's the conqueror. He's the victor. But he's surrounded by apostles, 12 of them, the new tribes of Israel. John the Baptist here on, on his right and on his left, St. Andrew. And they're all around the Vatican. And there's Peter every time you see him with the keys in his hand. The keys to the kingdom. There he is with keys. And it's a kingdom, and you'll see pictures in Rome of a king and a queen, a queen mother, and they both have crowns, and the kingdom starts small, like a baby, like a mustard seed, and it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows, and grows to infinity. Christ reigns as king. He sat down at the right hand of the father after he had won the kingdom for his father in perfect obedience. There's a chair at the back of St. Peter's at the very back by Bernini constructed the chair. Michelangelo did the Holy Spirit glass, alabaster glass that shines through perfectly with the sun. The Holy Spirit leads and guides the church. This is a chair that Peter actually sat in, held up by four church fathers because we're made to worship the king. Liturgy is nothing new. Liturgy is nothing the Catholic Church made up. The Jewish people were offering sacrifices since Cain and Abel. <laughs> since men fell and had need for repentance, they taught their kids to offer sacrifice to the king, to make atonement to the king, to worship the king, to obey the king. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. We praise him. We honor him. We adore him. We worship him. We lift him high. We eat his body, we drink his blood because he's the perfect sin atonement. And if there's a little crumb, it's infinitely Jesus. So we take every little crumb and we don't want to drop any little crumb because it's Jesus. It's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And when they're blessing the gifts, the bread and wine, it's a Jewish prayer. It's nothing we made up. This is what the Jews were saying in their liturgy. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness, we have received this bread and we fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life by the, by the uh, transubstantiation, by the power of the Holy Spirit will this be done. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness, we have received the wine, fruit of the vine and work of human hands. It will become our spiritual drink. That's what the Jews were saying. And we respond, blessed be God forever. And we become partakers once again in his divine nature. As we eat Jesus, Peter tells us, he explains, we, become, we go back to our divine nature, what we were created for in the image and likeness of God. We're all made in his image, but we lost some of our likeness with the fall. And as we receive him and through the sacraments and as we eat Jesus, we become partakers again in his divine nature. The kingdom of God has come. Gabriel said to Mary that day in Luke chapter 1, this is the feast of St. Luke, Gabriel said to Mary, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will rule. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, friends, as you can see, people always clamored for a king. We all want a king, a real king, an eternal king, a true king, a king who will rule the world with justice and equity. And the Lord provided us with just that, 
through the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus Christ himself. Paul reminded his spiritual son, Timothy, to fight the good fight of faith because the King of Kings will return again in glory. Listen to Paul's word to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But as for you, man of God, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you were made, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him, be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. In Revelation chapter 19, St. John talks about a rider on a white horse, the perfect king of justice who will return once again. Please listen now to Revelation chapter 19, starting at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name inscribed that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven wearing fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Ah, he is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name inscribed, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the King we serve. Will we be loyal subjects to this King of glory? Will we serve him faithfully and lay down our lives for his kingdom's glory? Will we help his kingdom grow and thrive here on earth with the time we have here to serve him? Will we keep him and him alone on the throne room of our heart? Keep seeking that king. Keep serving that king. This king rules the nations with equity and truth. Keep serving truth. Keep seeking truth. Until next time, friends, God bless.
You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. To learn how you can become a participant, either online or in a classroom setting of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, go to seekingtruth.net. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.